Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Good morning, carnage in Kabul. The death toll rising this morning from the airport massacre that claimed the lives of 13 U.S. service members, the worst American loss of life in Afghanistan in a decade. At least 95 others killed, dozens more wounded. The president vowing retribution. We will hunt you down and make you pay. And to finish the mission, the evacuation effort resuming overnight with new flights taking off. U.S. officials warning to expect even more attacks from the terror group behind the blasts. We have the very latest from both here and overseas. Storm alert. Ida threatening to slam the Gulf Coast as a major Category 3 hurricane. Watches already posted along the Gulf Coast. Owls tracking its timing and its path, while tens of millions from the south and northeast brace for yet another day of excessive heat. We'll have everything you need to know. Stunning toll, 2,100 COVID deaths in the U.S. in the last 24 hours, the deadliest day of the pandemic in more than five months. Cases rising so fast, first responders and their patients now facing agonizing delays at hospitals. But they'll call me in the middle of the night and tell me, hey, Captain, we're still waiting for a bed. It's been three and a half hours. What do you want us to do? Our eye-opening look at the dire situation on the front lines straight ahead. NBC News exclusive, the Capitol Police officer who shot and killed a rioter during the January 6th siege, coming forward for the very first time to share his story. There was imminent threats and danger to the members of Congress, and I just want the truth to be told. His harrowing account of the day, the threats he's still facing, and the message he wants to send this morning. All that, plus walking free? Why Sirhan Sirhan, the man who assassinated Robert F. Kennedy 53 years ago, could soon be released from prison. The key hearing happening today. And lapping the field. As she comes to the line, it will be a gold medal and a world record. Team USA's golden start in the pool at the Paralympic Games will introduce you to the pair of 17-year-old shining bright in Tokyo. Today, Friday, August 27, 2021. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotfi. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. And hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to you today on a Friday morning. We're glad to have you with us. I'm working remotely this morning. We've got Hoda there in the studio. And unfortunately, Hoda, we are covering this tragedy that has unfolded in Afghanistan. Yes, yeah, Savannah, it is. It's good to see you. We're going to talk about that. Evacuation flights out of Kabul resumed overnight just hours after two suicide bombers targeted the airport, killing more than 100 people including 13 U.S. service members. In the meantime, the U.S. is bracing for more violence in the region. The head of U.S. Central Command saying they expect the attacks to continue ahead of Tuesday's withdrawal deadline. We've got this covered from every angle, from Afghanistan to Washington. We want to get it started this morning with NBC's Richard Engel. Richard, good morning to you. 
Good morning, Savannah. The United States is wrapping up its longest war in history, the 20-year mission in Afghanistan. But now the U.S. is withdrawing under fire, not from the Taliban, but from ISIS. And U.S. military officials worry the extremists will continue to target Americans or try to target Americans until they leave. This morning, the planes in Kabul are flying, but the evacuation that has already taken out more than 100,000 U.S. citizens, Afghan contractors, and asylum seekers now has greater urgency and even more heightened security concerns that ISIS could try to shoot down a flight or carry out another attack. We believe it is their desire to continue those attacks, and we expect those attacks to continue, and we're doing everything we can to be prepared for those attacks. In Kabul, medical officials keep raising the death toll to at least 100 killed and dozens injured. From two bombings, one at a crowded airport gate, another close by at a hotel used as a gathering point to go into Kabul airport. As Marines were doing pat-downs at the gate, checking for bombs, an evacuee was wearing one and detonated it, killing at least 13 service members, most of them Marines. Amid the explosions, gunmen opened fire. The U.S. is increasingly reliant on the Taliban for security. Our former enemies are pre-screening and patting down evacuees before they arrived at the U.S. manned gates. But this time, the new and unlikely cooperation broke down. Clearly, if, if they were able to get up uh, to the Marines at the, at the screening, at the, at the entry point of the base, there's a failure somewhere. ISIS-K, the ISIS offshoot in Afghanistan and Pakistan, claimed responsibility. ISIS is the enemy of both the U.S. and the Taliban, and now both sides are mutually interested in fighting them. When U.S. troops pulled out of combat bases in Afghanistan, including Bagram, triggering the collapse of the Afghan army, the Taliban made lightning advances. Prisoners broke out of unguarded jails, and thousands of ISIS, al-Qaeda, and other extremists escaped. They have been on the loose for nearly two weeks. And they'd like nothing more than to seek their revenge by attacking the Americans as they leave, kicking them when they're down, firing on Americans as they leave Afghanistan in defeat. The Taliban have set up even more checkpoints around the airport this morning, keeping crowds still further back. It means if you are an Afghan in Kabul right now, it is extremely difficult to reach the airport. Unless you have a bus, a special permission from the Taliban, the window has probably closed to get to the airport and get out. Savannah? Just a nightmare scenario there. Richard, thank you very much. Uh, meantime, President Biden is honoring the victims and vowing to respond with force to the terrorists behind the attacks. NBC's chief White House correspondent Peter Alexander is covering that part of the story. Hey, Peter, good morning. Hoda, good morning. President Biden says that he is outraged and heartbroken by the deadly attack. The White House calling Thursday the worst day of his presidency. Still for the commander in chief, it has only reinforced his resolve for the U.S. to leave Afghanistan by his August 31st deadline. President Biden vowing revenge against those who carried out one of the deadliest attacks in America's longest war. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. 
The president condemning the terror group ISIS-K for Thursday's bombing, a nightmare scenario he had warned about for days, and honoring the service members who lost their lives in Kabul as the backbone of America. It's an overused word, but it's totally appropriate here. We're heroes. Heroes who've been engaged in a dangerous, selfless mission to save the lives of others. President Biden noting his predecessor made the original deal with the Taliban to withdraw troops, but acknowledging that when it comes to the chaotic past few weeks, the buck stops with him. I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened of late. And this morning, the president's facing a bipartisan barrage of new criticism. Top Democrat Senator Bob Menendez angry the U.S. is relying on the Taliban to help protect the airport, writing, we can't trust the Taliban with American security. And Republican Ben Sass blasting the administration's strategy, saying reverse course and fight for our people. This is likely to get worse and weakness will accelerate the bloodshed. Still, President Biden is standing by his commitment to an August 31st withdrawal date. We will not be deterred by terrorists. We will not let them stop our mission. We will continue the evacuation. President Biden says U.S. intelligence may have already identified those who organized Thursday's attack. And he says he's asked his military commanders for options to strike ISIS-K, promising the U.S. will respond in his words in a moment of our choosing, echoing President George W. Bush's words after 9-11 when the 20-year war in Afghanistan began. Savannah. Peter Alexander at the White House, thank you. And joining us now, retired Admiral James Stavridis, who served as NATO's Supreme Allied Commander, overseeing its mission in Afghanistan from 2009 to 2013. And John Brennan, who served as CIA Director during the Obama administration, both NBC News security analysts. Gentlemen, good morning to you. Uh, Admiral, I keep thinking about the troops who woke up this morning in Afghanistan and went back. Uh, under extraordinary circumstances, a danger that really can't be mitigated. How do you keep U.S. troops and Afghan allies safe in a situation like this? Let's start by thinking about those 13 families who are waking up undoubtedly the worst day of their lives. Uh, I know it was a bad day for the president. It was a terrible day for those families. Um, Savannah, there is no good solution here. And as I said uh, a couple of times over the past few weeks, we are one truck bomb, one C-17 shoot down, one shootout at the KIA corral away from this mission going sideways. We can still pull this thing off. It's going to require total focus, uh, doing everything we can to push the perimeter out, cooperating with the Taliban to do so, uh, mitigating every conceivable threat, particularly threats against aircraft. Uh, let's get this thing done by the 31st and uh, step away. It, it, Director Brennan, the Taliban, is, as mentioned, is providing the first layer of security, which is just stunning to even contemplate that that's the situation we're in, to rely on the Taliban for American security. But what options do we have? What leverage do we have with the Taliban to say, step it up? Well, Savannah, we have no alternative but to work closely with the Taliban. They control the area outside of that airport. And so, therefore, we have to interact with them. We're not relying on them, but in terms of making sure that they're doing everything possible to prevent individuals who have a terrorist agenda from getting close to that airport. Again, this is something that I think we know that the Taliban is not a, you know, an organization that we would naturally work with. 
And also, there is concern that ISIS-K, the group that carried out this attack, uh, is composed of a lot of former Taliban members. And so, therefore, infiltrating the Taliban by the ISIS uh, organization is something that I think we have to be very wary of. Absolutely. And, and Admiral, I mean, how likely is it that we see another attack like this or worse in these coming days? I think better than even. And uh, Director Brennan knows this better than anybody. But these kind of attacks tend to go in waves. Think about three to four years ago, and you felt like every month you were seeing a spectacular ISIS attack somewhere around the world. That's the DNA of this group. It's quite horrific to contemplate that. Um, I would say what we ought to be thinking about is uh, what do we do going forward? As John Brennan said, we're going to have to work with the Taliban. Think World War II. We worked with Stalin in order to overcome the Nazis. This is not dissimilar. Um, we've got to find ways to keep eyes on intelligence in Afghanistan. Uh, we've got to be able to go over the horizon. And to conclude, as President Bush, as President Biden said, um, never forgive, never forget, echoing the Borges. Um, you know, the other saying is revenge is a dish best eaten cold. Um, let's focus on getting out of KIA airport. Job next is finding ISIS-K and putting them at the bottom of the Indian Ocean alongside uh, bin Laden. Well, that, that leads me exactly to where I wanted to head with the former CIA director among us, John Brennan. I mean, the president said we won't forgive or forget. We will retaliate in practical terms. What could that mean? Well, we still have some intelligence assets that we can use in terms of overhead collection capabilities. Um, I know that U.S. intelligence officers continue to run sources inside of Afghanistan. And so what we're trying to do now, I'm certain, is to understand where the ISIS leadership resides, where these operatives are, to take the actions that are necessary to prevent a follow-on attack but also to get to the heart of that organization. And this is something that I know that President Biden is determined to do. Uh, we have a clock that is ticking down to the 31st of August. I do believe that President Biden will stay focused on that departure date. But between now and then, there is an enormous challenge. It's a very, very dangerous security environment. But the U.S. military, U.S. intelligence and others, I think, are going to do their absolute best prevent any more loss of life on the part of U.S. Uh, military or civilian personnel. And a final word from you, Admiral, in the moments we have left. As you know, the administration is under fierce criticism from Democrats and Republicans alike for the execution and the handling of this withdrawal. Um, they say, the administration says, in essence, it, would, it was never going to be pretty. Chaos was, in some sense, inevitable when you withdraw from Afghanistan. But couldn't it have gone better than this? Haven't there been pretty egregious mistakes made here? It certainly could have gone better. And I think we need to pull that apart and figure it out. And there's blame all the way around here from the collapse of the Afghan military, which the U.S. military, and I count myself in that number, trained. There were not perfect intelligence. There never is. Uh, the Taliban stepped up in war. The enemy gets a vote. They performed superbly, frankly. We're going to pull all that apart Savannah, job one right now is to get out of this situation with all of the Americans and as many Afghans as we possibly can. The next job is going after ISIS-K, and I'm sure we're going to continue to work to get the remaining Afghan allies out. If we have to create an underground railroad to do so, we'll do it. 
Uh, we've got work to do in Afghanistan, but now is the time to leave tactically. All right. Admiral Stavridis, former CIA director Brennan, thank you very much. And we're going to have a lot more on this story throughout the morning, including a closer look at the rise of ISIS-K and the ongoing threat it poses. That's coming up in the next half hour. Hoda. All right, Savannah, thank you. Right now, though, let's turn to the latest on the pandemic as we welcome in Craig. Morning, Craig. Hey, Hoda, Savannah. Good morning. Good morning to you as well. In a new sign of the severity of COVID summer, summer surge, more than 2,100 deaths were reported in the United States on Thursday alone, the first day with more than 2,000 fatalities since March 5th. Cases have now grown so bad in parts of the South, in some cases, ambulances are being forced to wait outside of packed hospitals for hours. NBC's Morgan Chesky saw it firsthand when he rode along with some first responders in Houston, Texas. Morgan, good morning. Yeah, Craig, good morning. And paramedics tell me they are frustrated and in a lot of cases feel like their hands are tied when they pull up to a hospital with a patient in the back and there's no place to go. For weeks now, we've been reporting about how hospitals are filling up. And last night, we had a chance to witness the consequences. This morning in Houston, a dangerous new normal. They know you're going to come to work, you're going to transport a patient, you're going to be there several hours. At one hospital. At one hospital. COVID-19 leaving hospitals so packed first responders and patients facing excruciating waits. Y'all been there about two hours though? We joined fire captain Chris Ponzica as he took calls from ambulance crews with no place to go. They'll call me in the middle of the night and tell me, hey captain, we're still waiting for a bed. It's been three and a half hours. What do you want us to do? Three hours? Three hours, three and a half hours. We've had them up to four and a half hours. At this Houston County Hospital, paramedic Philly Salinas had to get his patient extra oxygen after the first bottle ran out. When you have a patient now, what's really the message from every hospital? Well, that they don't have any space. They don't have any beds. Nationwide, more than 100,000 COVID patients are hospitalized. Florida with a grim new record, 901 deaths in a single day. State hospitals now reporting more than 90% of those admitted were unvaccinated. The patients we're getting are younger and they're turning sicker much faster. In Illinois, the governor issuing a new indoor mask mandate and vaccine requirements for healthcare and education workers. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. That reality underscored here in Houston by a heartbreaking announcement. The city confirming its first case of a child dying of COVID with no underlying health conditions. Do you think your patient has COVID? For those on the front lines facing an already overwhelmed hospital system, there's no end in sight. COVID is real. It's killing people. We're seeing a vast majority of our patients that don't have the vaccine. We're transporting to the hospital and they're barely breathing sometimes. So I, I would tell them to get vaccinated. And paramedics stress the COVID impact goes from their current patient on to the next. They say their biggest fear is someone having a dire emergency, say a heart attack, and it taking longer for an ambulance to reach them because so many of them are tied up at hospitals like this one. Craig? Morgan Chesky for us there in Houston. Morgan.
Thank you. Another big story we're covering this morning. It is that tropical system expected to threaten Gulf states as a major hurricane. I know a lot of folks in New Orleans have their eye on this one. Al, what's the details? Okay, guys, so here we go. Uh, tropical Storm Ida. Right now we've got uh, Tropical Storm warnings up for Cuba. But as we get closer, almost from the Louisiana-Texas border to the Mississippi-Alabama border, we're talking about hurricane watches up. Right now, Ida is 50 miles north-northwest of Grand Cayman, about uh, 900 miles from New Orleans, 45-mile-per-hour winds moving northwest at 15 miles per hour. Here's what we're really concerned about. The water temperatures of the Gulf are in the upper 80s. That's 3 to 5 degrees above average for this time, and that makes rapid intensification of this system likely. By Saturday, a Category 1. By Sunday, just offshore around 1 o'clock, it's a Category 3 storm. This could be a conservative estimate. So we're going to continue to watch this. Then it continued to, tra to track to the north and then make a turn and head up into northern Al and Mississippi, but it's still a tropical storm. Here's what we're looking for right now as far as uh, concerns and watches. Storm surge watches from Sabine Pass all the way to Mobile, Alabama. The storm surges could get up to 4 to 7 to 7 to 11 feet along central Louisiana coast. We're also looking at heavy rain with this system upwards of 20 inches of rain localized, and there's already, uh, it's the ground is saturated from heavy storms already, so this is a very concerning situation, and of course, we're going to continue to track it for you. Guys, not to put too fine a point on this, but if this makes landfall Sunday morning in Louisiana, 16 years to the day on Sunday that Hurricane Katrina hit, so wow. we're going to continue to watch this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Al. Thank you very much. And still ahead here this morning, exactly what is ISIS-K? Andrea Mitchell taking a closer look at the terror group behind the deadly attacks in Kabul, its rapid rise in Afghanistan, and the growing threat posed to both U.S. and Taliban forces. And then the officer who fatally shot a rioter while defending the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, stepping out of the shadows in an exclusive interview with Lester Holt, his harrowing account of what led up to that moment and why he says he is still facing threats nearly eight months later. But first, this is Today on NBC. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 7.30 now on this Friday morning, August 27, 2021. U.S. flags at the White House and Capitol and federal buildings across the country all flying at half-staff to honor the U.S. service members killed in those twin terror attacks at the Kabul airport. Those flags will remain lowered through sunset on Monday, August 30th, and we're going to have much more on the situation in Afghanistan just ahead. 
Well, let's get a check of other headlines here. 7.30 on a Friday morning, and we begin with a significant ruling from the Supreme Court that could impact millions of Americans. Last night, the court blocked the Biden administration from enforcing a temporary ban on evictions. It was put in place because of the pandemic. The ruling will end protections for roughly three and a half million people in the U.S. who say they face eviction in the next two months. The court says the CDC, which reimposed the moratorium earlier this month, lacked the legal authority to do so. The man convicted of assassinating Robert F. Kennedy will go before a California parole board today. Sirhan Sirhan is seeking his release for the 16th time. But for the first time ever, there will be no opposition from prosecutors. L.A. County District Attorney George Gascon says he is sticking to his policy that prosecutors have no role in deciding whether prisoners should be released. He says that decision is best left to the parole board. The 77-year-old Sirhan has served 53 years in prison. Also this morning, more gold medals for Team USA at the Tokyo Paralympics. 17-year-old Anastasia Pagonis, who is blind, set a new world record in the women's 400-meter freestyle. The Long Island, New York native dominating the competition in the finals. And then it was Atlanta's Gia Pergolini's turn to make history. Pergolini setting a new world record in the 100-meter backstroke. Both 17-year-olds winning gold in their first Paralympic appearance, by the way. And a reminder, you can catch coverage of the Paralympics on the NBC Sports app and on the NBC Sports Network. Hmm. And we turn now back to Afghanistan and the twin bombings at the Kabul airport. Yeah, they claim the lives of more than 70 people, including 13 U.S. service members. And this morning, they're adding new layers of chaos and urgency to those emergency evacuations. So who's behind the attack? A branch of ISIS that U.S. officials say poses an ongoing threat in Afghanistan. NBC's chief Washington correspondent, Andrea Mitchell, joins us now with a closer look at what we now know about ISIS-K. Andrea, good morning. Good morning, Hoda. Well, this group claiming responsibility is an offshoot of the barbaric organization that originally formed in Iraq and Syria. This ISIS branch started in Pakistan and is now a bitter rival of the Taliban in Afghanistan while vowing to continue targeting U.S. forces. With just four days until President Biden's deadline for withdrawing from Afghanistan, a growing threat to the evacuation of the remaining Americans and Afghan allies, the terror group known as ISIS-K. I've repeatedly said this mission was extraordinarily dangerous and on why I've been so determined to limit the duration of this mission. What is ISIS-K? An offshoot in Afghanistan of the Islamic State. The group, formed six years ago in Pakistan, has now taken root in Afghanistan, gaining even more force when the Taliban, during their march toward Kabul, released thousands of terrorists from the country's prisons, including ISIS-K fighters. Now the group is challenging the Taliban for control. ISIS-K is clearly the group which has the greatest straight antipathy for the West uh, and the United States. But the only good side of that is they also have antipathy for the Taliban. And the Taliban have no love for them either. The CENTCOM commander warns ISIS-K could launch more attacks at any moment. They aim to get a suicide, a vehicle-borne suicide attack in if they can, from a small vehicle to a large vehicle. They're working all those options. And then we've just seen their ability to deliver a walk-in, a vest-wearing suicide, uh, suicide attacker. The ISIS-K is not the only threat to the U.S. evacuation mission in these final days. The Taliban have put the leader of the Haqqani network, Khalil Haqqani, who has ties to al-Qaeda, in charge of security in Kabul. 
Hakani has a $5 million U.S. bounty on his head and brazenly showed up a week ago at Friday prayers in Kabul. The Haqqanis are expert at two things, taking people hostage and committing mass murder attacks of this scale. So, Andrea, I would imagine that U.S. officials are concerned once again that Afghanistan can become a hotbed for terror groups. Well, exactly, Hoda. Once the U.S. withdraws, these rival groups can turn Afghanistan into a terrorist battleground, exactly the kind of haven for extremists that the U.S. had hoped to eliminate in its 20-year war. And, in fact, the U.N. even revealed that up to 10,000 jihadi fighters have traveled to Afghanistan already from other countries. Very recently, most are tied to al-Qaeda and the Taliban, but some, indeed, are this most radical group, ISIS-K. Mm. All right, Andrea Mitchell for us there in Washington. Andrea, thank you. When we come back here on this Friday morning, Lester Holt is going to join us with more of his exclusive conversation with the U.S. Capitol Police officer who shot and killed a rioter during the January 6th siege, his harrowing account of the day, and why he decided to now come forward for the first time. But first, these messages. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We're back with in-depth today and this morning. Some of the Capitol Police officers who came under attack on January 6th are now taking legal action. Seven officers filed a lawsuit Thursday against former President Trump, his allies, and members of extremist groups saying they sent that mob of rioters to disrupt the day's peaceful transition of power. The terrifying moments that unfolded nearly eight months ago scarred many officers who were there. Now a lieutenant, not part of that lawsuit, who fired a fatal shot at one of the protesters is revealing himself and sharing his story for the very first time. NBC's Lester Holt sat down with him exclusively. Hey, Lester, good, good morning. morning. Good to see both of you. Uh, his name is Lieutenant Michael Byrd. It's a name that floated around the Internet following the events on January 6th, leading to some vicious threats, but officials never publicly formally identified him. Now the 28-year veteran of the force is coming forward, saying he wants to set the record straight about what took place. Were you afraid that day? I was very afraid. Are you, are you afraid, afraid now? Afraid. Going I am. I am afraid because I know there's people that disagree with my actions on January the 6th. But I hope they understand I did my job. And there was imminent threats and danger to the members of Congress. In the chaotic minutes before Lieutenant Michael Byrd shot and killed rioter Ashley Babbitt, cascade of alarming messages crackled through his police radio. He yells for help and, uh, you know, officer down and screaming as they're being assaulted. This video from inside the House chamber captures Byrd instructing members of Congress to don gas masks. We got a disbursement of tear gas in the rotunda. Then, instructions to prepare for the worst. I'd ask them to remove their pens, to remove their jackets, you know, uh, to look like staff as much as possible um, and to uh, seek shelter by staying down below their chairs. 
Soon, a horde of demonstrators stormed up the stairs to the House chamber. There's a gun! Bird is seen taking a defensive posture with his gun drawn. I didn't even realize I had been yelling and screaming as loud as I was, please stop, get back, get back, stop. We see your arm out there for a considerable amount of time. Yes. Were you wavering? Uh, I was, again, taking a tactical stance. You're ultimately hoping that your commands will be complied with and unfortunately they were not. What did you think this individual was doing at that, at that moment? She was posing a threat to United States House of Representatives. But an attorney for Ashley Babbitt's family disputes that. He did not respond to our request for a comment, but in a previous statement said Babbitt was not brandishing a weapon, not in close proximity to members of Congress, and was not an imminent threat of death or serious injury to anyone. Based on your training, in that case, does it matter that the person was armed or not? According to law, it does not. I know based on my training and my policy, uh, what I did was appropriate. Multiple investigations have now upheld Byrd's actions on January 6th. Have you continued to question your actions that day? I knew that day I followed my training and I spent countless years preparing for such a moment. You ultimately hope that moment never occurs, but you prepare as best you can. I know that day I saved countless lives. If Ashley Babbitt's family is, is watching this, is there anything you would say to them? What I would like to say is to all the families from January the 6th that their family members receive injury or loss of life. As uh, my heart goes out to them, I'm sorry for their loss and what they're dealing with. And uh, I pray that they find peace and comfort. Well, it, Lester, as you know, one of the, the chief criticisms of Lieutenant Byrd from the beginning has been there were other officers in, in similar situations that day who did not fire their weapons. What, if anything, did he say about that? No, I asked him directly about that, and he says he can't judge their actions or their circumstances. He believes he did what was appropriate. Anecdotally, I've heard from officers who have talked about the proximity in mm -hmm. some of those situations was just so close that the idea of withdrawing a weapon and using it didn't seem like an option, but he says they'll have to speak for themselves. Why did he decide to, to sit down? What was his motivation? He, you know, the, the threats had been mounting. Um, he felt that his story wasn't getting out. There was a narrative that was making its way around the internet, and he thought it was time to come out and talk. And we should point out that he is, uh, you know, there are several investigations mm -hmm. that are part of a deadly uh, use of force, and they have all cleared him of wrongdoing. All right, Lester, uh, thank you so much. And, of course, you're going to have more on Nightly News uh, this evening. Thanks. All right, let's switch gears. Mm -hmm. Another check of the weather. Mr. Roker, standing by for that. What are we looking at? Al? That's right, guys. We've got an update from the National Hurricane Center coming up at 8 on Ida. But in the meantime, we still have dangerous heat from the coast to coast. We're looking at also the central part of the country. 50 million people looking at those dangerous conditions. And, in fact, triple-digit Feels like temperatures stretching from Shreveport up to Kansas City, St. Louis, all the way down to Tuscaloosa here in the Northeast, Washington, D.C. One more day of this heat again tomorrow with temperatures feeling like the upper 90s to low 100s and then 
early next week, we get a bit of a break. We're going to see temperatures more comfortable in Boston, New York, Washington, D.C., all the way out to Chicago. We do have severe weather, though, in the upper Midwest, from Minneapolis all the way down to Waterloo, flash flood watches and warnings. We also have a risk of severe weather stretching from the Dakotas all the way into the Midwest. Six million people at risk for dangerous winds, hail, and the possibility of tornadoes with heavy rain up to four inches stretching from northern Minnesota all the way down into Nebraska. And that's your latest weather. Hoda. All right, Al, thank you. All right, if boating happens to be in your weekend, plan stick around. Vicki Wynn is shining a light on an invisible danger many people don't even consider. Yeah, one family shocking story and their fight to get the word out before another accident on the water. Coming up next, your 8 o'clock hour. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.